Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. You know, everyone has heard of Airbnb, Spacer, Airtasker, and the myriad of other marketplaces that provide access to everything from travel through to hiring out your spare rooms for storage. Well, today, my next guest took that concept and married it to another group of friendly-minded travellers, being the RV community, or if you're in Australia, caravanning. Now, Anna Mast and her mother built a business called Boondockers Welcome which brought together RV travellers and the hosts that allow these travellers to camp on their property. Not only do these travellers get a unique experience, but they often get to save money and hang out with other people in their community. Boondockers Welcome grew at a steady pace over nine years, quadrupling in revenue before selling for a mid-seven-figure sum. And taking us on that journey today is the one who started it all. This is Anna Mast. Hello, Anna. Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Simon. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. My pleasure. I read your little bio, you know, before we were in a long guy, I guess, when we reached out and I thought, oh, that's a really interesting story. And, and for a couple of reasons, I, I, I love anything to do with SaaS because it's just where the world's going. But I love a story where somebody says, yeah, we kind of got offered some, we got, got an offer and decided not to take it. And went off and built and did some other cool stuff before you actually eventually exit. And I went, that's that's a story I'd love to hear. So I, I know I don't want to jump the gun here. I know we'll get to all that kind of good stuff. But maybe just for our audience, maybe you could give them a little bit of context and just explain some of your background and kind of what led you to starting your business. Sure. So the company that I recently sold uh, is called Boondockers Welcome. It is a online platform for RVers that lets them connect with other uh, hosts, usually RVers themselves. And I know in Australia, you would call it caravanning probably, but uh, in North America, we call it RVing. Um, but other RVers who let them stay on their property for a night or two for free. So we call it kind of like the RV equivalent of couch surfing, but you uh, bring your own couch with you. So um, <laughs> yeah, cool. I started that in 2012 uh, with my co-founder, who is also my mother, who has been RVing for about 20 years and um, had a, a following uh, online. She had already published, self-published some uh, travel guides that she had a pretty good following for. And we were able to use the the um, purchasers of her guides that she had built a good uh, mailing list and we were able to use that to sort of seed our initial host base and use that to launch our platform and we grew to 
uh, over about 3,000 hosts and over 12,000 guests before we finally exited in May of 2021. Wow, that's a cool story. So, so understanding the origins here. So, your mum has the experience of RVing. She's out and about. She's seeing kind of the the need, I guess, in the market. And and as I understand it, you're a you're a software engineer by trade. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I have a degree in software engineering and was working as a full-time embedded firmware uh, engineer before, well, while we were building the product and uh, then eventually did quit my day job to go full-time on Boondockers Welcome. Uh, but yeah, but my mom had, yeah, she had all of the the industry expertise. She was the RVer. I I do have a, a camping trailer now, but uh, when we launched, I did not. So she was definitely the subject matter expert. <laughs> Great. And obviously you've been won over with the idea along the way, which is cool. But uh um but that's great. I mean, I love the idea that, that that you know, A, you're doing a business with your mum, which that's pretty cool. I mean, not a lot of people can say they've done that. Um my mum was still with us, I'd I would love to have the opportunity to work with her and do something fun. But uh but I love the fact that, you know, industry kind of exposure, look, ideas, even following, as you say, um, you know, brought together with a tech solution. I mean, is that that's the future in my mind. So, um, so very, very good. Um, so talk, talk to me a little bit, if you can, about what, what the journey looked like. You know, you, you know that you're probably sitting at the dinner table, maybe chatting about this idea. And, and how does it go from idea to, you know, actually you're starting to take it seriously and work on things and building maybe an MVP or something like that? Like what, what did that journey look like? How long did it take? All the rest of it. Yeah, well, for us, the journey was pretty slow, but it was um, it was very much sort of a, a side project fun thing that that we sort of started without really any anticipation of how much it would take off. Um, essentially, my mother came to me. I had just had my first uh, child in. I guess it was late 2009. Um, probably it was 2010 when she sort of came to me with this idea. Um, she had been RVing for some time and knew that this was something that was commonly done in RVing. You would, you know, pull into a, a campground and, and introduce yourself to your new neighbors and, you know, you'd become fast friends and very quickly exchange cards with addresses on it saying, oh, if you're ever in my neck of the woods, come stay in my driveway. And even some of the... Um, some of the RV manufacturers would sometimes have, you know, print lists of other people with Airstreams that, you know, if you're also an Airstreamer, you can come stay in any of these people will we'll be happy to host you at their property, sort of. So, But it was a very low-tech solution at that point, right? It was There was some kind of directory that you could maybe, maybe print off or, or have a, a copy of, but there was no sort of online version of this. Um, and so she came to me with the idea that she wanted to, to launch that, and as I said, she already had sort of this following and we knew we could sort of use that to, to seed it. Um, and um, she, she was actually, I think, asking really if I could give her advice on who to hire to build it for her. But I was on maternity leave and we're in Canada. Here in Canada, we were lucky to get, you know, a full year of maternity leave. And so I pretty much spent, you know, the time when the baby was napping and she would come over once a week and sort of play with her grandson. And I would spend that time building the site. And so we did that, you know, on and off. And it was slow going. It was 2012 before I had, and after I had my second child before we actually launched it. So it was that that initial MVP took a long time. But um, I was not a um, a web developer by background. I was a firmware engineer. And I mean, obviously, there's some skill transfer between those two, but there was still a lot for me to learn. 
Um, so I learned as I went and then, yeah, we launched in 2012 and we had, um, I think we got our first 200 hosts within the first few months from that initial seed. Wow. And then it grew quite slowly for the first few years as we weren't really putting a whole lot of uh, time and effort into it. And then um, probably around 2014, I um, quit my full-time job, partly to work on the company, but also just partly for family reasons. Um, and then by about 2016, when my kids finally started school full-time, I uh, was able to focus more on the business and we did a lot more marketing. And that's when things really started to ramp up. Yeah, cool. That's um, that's really interesting. So, so obviously, Bootstrap self-funded, or, or I shouldn't say obviously. It, I, I presume it was, yeah, one hundred percent bootstrapped <laughs> and self-funded. It was yeah. the uh, the 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 cheapest of cheaps at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like this idea. I mean, you obviously had an idea, and you obviously had thought it had merit to put some time and effort and all this sort of stuff into it. But it's um, I, I get the feeling. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the feeling that you you maybe didn't realize what a success it could be. No, I I don't think, I mean, the online SaaS revolution, I think, was really just sort of coming into its own at that point. And I had, you know, some inklings of, you know, a few podcasts that I'd heard of and, and you know, little pieces on the internet that I had read about, but I hadn't really been drawn into this world of, you know, you can make money writing software on the internet and and actually build a business out of that and especially yeah. i live in a, a town that's um it, this the, the city i live in is like the home of the original blackberry research in motion there's there's a lot of a lot of high-tech companies in town but all you know venture-backed you know big tech companies so the idea of starting something small and bootstrapped just I, I didn't have any sort of examples of people doing that around me. So it wasn't really something that I had thought about prior to prior to getting far enough along that I realized, oh, this is something that we can do and people do this. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's very cool. And so, you know, it must have been a it must have been a pretty great feeling getting those first few kind of customers or people signing up and, and starting to use the platform. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly remember that, you know, moment when the first, you know, we turned on uh the the pay paywall and that first sale came in and that was um that was that was very exciting and for a long time it was, you know, one a week, two a week and then, you know, eventually it grew and and it was it, we grew with it. Yeah, cool. I mean, I think these days we're all quite familiar with this idea of Airbnb and these sort of things, but just just to help me, I guess, and our listeners understand. So, what what was the model? How did it how did it work? How did it actually commercialize? Yeah, so we chose a membership model. So our um, hosts um, were able to join for free. Eventually, we didn't actually start with that model, but that was the model that definitely worked in the end. So hosts could sign up for free, um, but guests paid an annual membership. So it was at the time we sold, it was fifty dollars a year. So $50 a year, and that's for unlimited stays with all of our hosts. And the hosts, most of them were, like I said, RVers themselves. So they weren't actually in it for monetary gain. They didn't take uh, uh, money. There was no exchange um, of 
of cash paid to them unless you some of them would offer like an electric hookup and then you were expected to pay them for out-of-pocket costs but most of them did it for the the social interaction so it was really an amazing deal if you were a guest to be able to stay at any number of our at the end 3,000 hosts um, and there wow. are, I mean the company still exists so there are still 3,000 hosts out there around that that you could stay with so um, yeah it's an amazing deal for the guests to stay with uh, to stay with our hosts and like I said most of the hosts um, either they are RVers or they're former RVers and they really enjoy the lifestyle and enjoy the the social aspect and meeting people and I mean we heard so many stories over the years of hosts who you know couldn't travel anymore because they were too ill or they had to take care of a, a loved one and that 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 social uh, piece having people come and just share their property and and share their lives and how much that really meant to them it's it was an amazing business to run. It was very, it yeah. gave you a lot of purpose. Yeah. It's beautiful. I, it's, I mean, it's a community. It's a movement. It's, it's, yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's great. It's, um, so if I'm a host and I sign up uh, and I'm signing up for free because I'm a host, do I also get to use the platform as a user for free or do you pay as a user on top of that? Um, hosts would earn credits for every guest that they welcomed. So you could host for free. And then every time you uh, had a, a guest stay with you, you would earn essentially credit to put towards your own membership for when you traveled. Yeah, great. Yeah, great. It's, uh, that's, a, that's a good sense of actually yeah, getting people active so that they're not well, you know, let's be honest, there's, there's always a few people who try to take advantage of a system. So, um, so no, that's, a, that's a nice way of putting it. So, yeah, really interesting. And so when you started building this, and I guess, you know, sometime between along this journey as it's starting to get tra a little bit of traction, were you thinking about building it to sell or was it more of a hobby or what, like, how did that come, come into it? Um, it was never really on my horizon at the beginning selling it was um uh, you know having an income stream was just such a magical thing at the beginning right the fact that we could just the two of us and it was really just the two of us at one point my um a couple of years ago, my mother did sort of step back because she's, you know, 70 now. So she wanted to sort of pull back and retire. And we hired a, a customer support uh, and, and marketing community person to help take over for her. But just two people essentially running the company and, and bringing in this, you know, relatively stable monthly revenue was just an amazing thing. And um, it, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily something that I had looked towards doing, selling while I was building it. But at some point, you know, you start to recognize, oh, there is, this is an asset and it has value. And um, there are always risks associated with, you know, running the company. And there are other reasons too that, you know, like I said, my mother was retiring and this was essentially at this point, her entire retirement nest egg was through all of her net worth was in this illiquid asset. So um, it, it really, you know, at that point, it, it became sort of obvious that this was something we should be considering. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It, you mentioned risks in running business, and and I guess my mind instantly jumped to, I guess if somebody goes onto somebody else's property and has an accident or something like that. I mean, is that the sort of 
things that you're talking about? That stuff must have gone through your minds as you're building this business. Yeah. I mean, lots of different risks, obviously, but that was one of them. And I mean, we did eventually, we started out very scrappy without any of that sort of stuff, but we did eventually sort of introduce an insurance program to sort of protect ourselves and our hosts from any liability issues. Um, but yeah, as we grew, we, you know, learned how to manage those risks a little better. But at the same time, you know, it, we're a small bootstrap company, you know, Airbnb or couch surfing or something could decide to get into the space and throw a bunch of venture capital money in it. You never know what's going to happen, right? So there's there's always risks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating space. I think it's, um, and there's clearly a solid ongoing and probably growing market, particularly particularly with baby boomers retirements and all that sort of stuff. It's, um, yeah, I can see that. I can see the scale and the interest. Um so, so I, you know, we I'll go back to the, I guess, some of my opening comments. I, I understand that, you know, you got an initial offer that you ultimately turned down. Can you talk about that? how did that come about and, and what was sort of going through your mind at the time? Yeah, so this would have been in early 2019. Um, we... At that point, we probably had about $100,000 of annual recurring revenue. So, you know, enough to feel pretty comfortable with the two of us working at that. But, you know, it wasn't really fully replacing my my day job, but made me feel okay about not having one. Um, (laughs) But uh, it was another player in the RV space who had some other sort of related websites and and owned a couple of sort of RV related businesses. Um, And he had reached out to us a couple of times. And at that point, I think I was just feeling, I don't know, a little uh, low and not, not, not particularly motivated in the business. And, and my mom was looking to retire. She had not yet retired at that point. Um, and so we decided to explore that and he, you know, made us an offer, which was, you know, a perfectly reasonable offer. We had, um, some advisors look at it. Like I said, we had about a hundred thousand dollars in ARR and the offer was, I think it was around $380,000. Um, so, you know, a pretty good multiple. It wasn't necessarily the best, um, the best terms. I think it was, you know, a, a relatively small chunk up front and then sort of uh, seller financed over the next uh, 18 or 24 months or something like that. So that wasn't really the best terms, but we, you know, we're considering it and um, we're just about to sign the letter of, at- of, uh, of intent when I ended up going to a conference where I just sort of, for the first time, I went to MicroConf, if you've heard of it, which is sort of a small uh, conference for bootstrap software founders uh, here in North America. And I just really sort of found my tribe and, and you know, met all of these amazing people who were doing similar things and, and many of whom were sort of not even at the, the point of success that we were at yet. And that really sort of invigorated me and made me realize that we actually had something here that was worth trying to continue to grow more. So Excellent. that's what we did. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and, and just clarifying a couple of technical points for anyone who might be listening. So ARR is typically annual recurring revenue. So I, I think, you know, um, and we get a lot of um, different business owners who, who listen to the show and a lot of them have traditional businesses as opposed to SaaS businesses. And so I think they, they're probably anyone who's listened to the show a few times would be used to me talking about valuations often being a multiple of their adjusted profit or adjusted EBITDA, as, it, as the case right. may be. Um, 
But if anyone's been listening to more recent episodes, we've had a lot more SaaS founders on. And, you know, this this shift can be quite a paradigm sort of breaking idea for a lot of business owners that, hang on a minute, you're telling me somebody pays you a multiple of your revenue, not your profit. <laughs> I mean, so the truth is that I, I, I could, I'd have to go back and look at those numbers, but it's such yeah. a high margin business that those numbers were so close to each other, right? And uh, the, the seller discretionary earnings, like we didn't have any employees, right? That revenue and that EBITDA number were almost identical. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And um, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of businesses that will look at, well, hey, we need to add in a wage for us. So there's lots of different calculations that will go on in there for a lot of buyers anyway. But but broadly, this concept, SaaS companies are selling at multiples of revenue. And I think that, that that's the message here, I think, is for a lot of business owners is that, you know, different styles of businesses are going different, very different valuation methods and and multiples and amounts. And um, I as a guy who's around this all the time, we're selling three SaaS companies right now for, in, our, in our main business, Exit Advisory, and I and I still boggle at the fact that, you know, we're, we're seeing offers at, you know, even five, six times annual recurring revenue for some of them. And I'm like, wow, as a buyer, I just couldn't imagine paying that. <laughs> but then again, I'm not a, a global billion dollar software aggregating company either. So, you know, I guess that's all in perspective. <laughs> um, so what happened after that? So you decided... I'm not selling. I'm reinvigorated. What 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 did it look like after that? Um, so we ended up hiring someone, as I said, to take over my mother's sort of role. She had been responsible for a lot of the customer support piece and, you know, the the business development piece. I ended up taking over sort of a lot of that the business development and um and marketing um, and like, you know, all of the financial uh, management pieces. So that was sort of me coming from a from a CTO role more into a CEO role. And that was really interesting for me to, to sort of learn that and, and move in that direction. And uh, we just continued to grow like gangbusters for another two years. And I mean, obviously, that was 2019. And then by the beginning of, you know, 2020, we all know what happened in March of 2020. Um, so we had three months really of of quite depressed revenue at the beginning of the pandemic when everybody was sheltering in place. Nobody really knew what was going on. We were extending people's memberships for three months just across the board because people couldn't travel and they were asking for refunds. Um, but then, you know, once those initial three months passed and, uh, you know, people realized that RVing was actually a very safe way to travel, much safer than, you know, staying in hotels or having to eat at restaurants or flying on planes. Then all of a sudden, everything we knew was just out the window and it was just gangbusters like that for the next year until we did sell in May of 2021. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. I, I can imagine that that pandemic and certainly I, we had a lot of lockdowns in Australia. I mean, I, I know a lot of business owners who, who suffered um, through that period. But geez, I, I imagine there would have been a, almost a bit of pent up demand too, right? Of people just itching to get out. They miss their holiday. They want to. <laughs> so I can imagine Absolutely. it probably came back in yeah, quite a flood. <laughs> it did. It did. It was, um, yeah, we had hosts signing up. Um, even at the beginning of the pandemic, we had, you know, uh, people who had nowhere to go. The campgrounds were literally closing and people who, you know, live full time in their RVs and were getting kicked out of their campgrounds. And so we, had people signing up as hosts, you know, specifically taking in 
in displaced RVers who had nowhere to go. We had, you know, stories of, of people who ended up staying with hosts for a month or more, um, which is highly unusual because they just, you know, or some people were here from overseas and they couldn't go back to where they were, where they were from. And it, um, yeah, it was, it was a crazy time those first few months. But then, yeah, once, once the restrictions lifted, uh, then yeah, everybody was in their RVs. Yeah, interesting. And, and so when it came back around to you selling, I mean, did you make it, how did that unfold? Did you make a decision, we're going to sell and start actively looking around? Did somebody tap you on the shoulder again? How did it sort of eventuate? So we did not at all make a, a conscious choice and seek out uh, an acquisition. Um, we were still, you know, growing and, and I was still quite enjoying running the company. Um, However, we had been in touch with, um, there's another company in the space called Harvest Hosts, which has a very similar business model to ours, uh, where we um, orchestrated stays with private hosts who would let you stay on their property. They orchestrated stays with um, wineries or breweries or museums that would let you stay on their property. So small businesses. Um, but it worked on a very similar uh, business model, again, an annual membership. And uh, we had been friendly with their CEO for a number of years. You know, I would chat with him every six months or so, especially during the pandemic. We touched pay, uh, base a couple of times, just comparing notes and seeing how things were going. Um, a lot of our customers were also their customer, right? They, we, there was a lot of crossover there. Um, and so he had, you know, put a bug in my ear a couple of times before about, you know, being interested in maybe acquiring us. Um, and then in uh, early 2021, I guess they took, a, you know, I think it was $37 million of, of venture funding. And shortly after that, I got a call from him saying, okay, this, let, let's, can we, can we get serious about this? What would it take? <laughs> what would it take for you to sell? Um, so it was just kind of a, a, a thing where it seemed like all the, all the, the stars were aligned. It was, you know, a really good acquirer for us. Like I said, all our customers were very familiar with them. Um, it, they really understood our business. Um, and it was very important to us that our, our customers and our hosts would still, you know, have the same, uh, the same community that we had built that that wouldn't end up getting dismantled during an acquisition. Um, if we had sold to somebody who didn't really understand the value of that sort of community, then I wouldn't have felt comfortable. But it was very clear that this 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 was a good uh, fit from that perspective. But then also, you know, obviously they'd just taken this funding and and you know they were uh, looking to sell. And we, I also just you know. I know that RVing is still going strong, but it's going to, it's, you know, at some point it's going to come back down again. And I didn't want to ride it over the top. I figured this is probably, you know, see if we can, if we can get out while the, uh, while we're at the top of the market. Well, the going's good. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And look, and I think, you know, larger companies with, with venture capital and all the rest of it, I mean, they, they can take a longer horizon, you know, longer term sort of look on things and ride out the next wave and, and all the rest of it. So it's, yeah, I think that's a very logical uh, approach for many, many founders. Um, how long did the process take from them kind of reaching out to you and saying, hey, you know, can we talk a bit more through to finalizing a deal and it's all settled and finished? So, I mean, I think he 
um, they started reaching out to us sort of the beginning of the year. It was, um, I think it was sort of mid-March before we really got down to like, here's a, a letter of intent and I, you know, ran it by my lawyers. And um, I think it was April 1st probably was like the day we signed that letter of intent. And then we closed on May 14th. So okay. it was a pretty a pretty fast turnaround once we finally did go ahead and, and decide to go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and once again, I don't want to be assuming anything here, but I, from the outside looking in, I would have thought the due diligence process for you would have been pretty straightforward. Um, was it, I mean, I imagine they wanted to look at the tech and look at a few different things, but what, what, what was that like for you? Um, it was, I mean, it was all new to me for sure. I mean, I, um, I, I assumed that they would, you know, I mean, I'm a technical person. So I was like going in thinking, oh, I should be commenting my code more. You know, there's not enough, you know, clarity in here into what the code does. But um, as it turns out, and I didn't really know this at the time, but I mean, they, and I should have, I should have figured this. I mean, their, their biggest interest was in our, our host base more than, you know, our tech or our, any of that. So they have their own platform and, you know, their, their long-term goal was to, and they have done this now to, to integrate, um, the platform. So our Boondockers Welcome is still its own product, but it is a sort of an add-on to their Harvest Host product. So you can buy the membership to stay with the wineries. You can upgrade to our community membership to stay with Boondockers Welcome Hosts. So um, for that reason, it turns out that the, you know, the actual tech was a little lower on their their list of things that they cared about. I mean, they wanted to make sure that, you know, it wasn't going to break in the time before they could get everybody migrated over to their back end. But um but no, the due diligence process was much more just about, you know, making sure that we had crossed all our T's and dotted our I's and weren't doing anything horribly illegal. And, and you know, it, it, it was still all encompassing, but uh, <laughs> yeah. not in the same way that I had expected it to be. Yeah, yeah, cool. And so you, you mentioned you had lawyers obviously looking over the agreement. Did, did you just negotiate it primarily yourself or did you have another advisor? Did you bring in? What, what, what did all that sort of little deal team look like? Um, when we were negotiating the actual purchase price at that point, I did not, um, I did not yet, I guess I probably had a lawyer when we finally had the letter of intent, but when we were negotiating the price, we didn't have, um, lawyers yet. We didn't use a, a broker or, a, an official advisor. Um, I did, I, I do have some, some friends who are, you know, in the VC backed world and, and have sort of a very good knowledge of, you know, how company valuations work. And, you know, if I was buying your company and it was a strategic acquisition and this is sort of in the ballpark that I would be, you know, willing to pay based on payback periods and, and sort of things. And, um, and so I, you know, I had some of those conversations with some, some good friends and advisors in that regard, but nothing, no official sort of advisor capacity. Yeah. Yeah, but you went in armed. You had a, you had the contacts. You probably, you know, you're armed with what what they're going to going to the other side is likely to say to you or request or yeah. Now that's 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 interesting. Um, so you've actually done quite a quick sale there. I mean, the beginning of year to to May. I mean, it's it's funny. I always say to my clients when they approach us um, to allow for up to twelve months. You know, I say to them, look, it's I've had deals that have actually taken eighteen months. I've had deals that have gone in two months, but Two months is not the norm, and you should at least, you know, 
allow for 12 and if I can get it done in seven or eight, well, happy days, right? You get an early mark. But <laughs> um, so for you to knock it over in what sounds like sort of under five months, maybe four is, is actually a really, sounds to me like a, a pretty good and efficient process. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we hadn't necessarily gone in looking for that, but, you know, I had at least been smart enough to, you know, make sure that most of our ducks were in a row before we started going down that road or our books were, you know, well organized and, and, you know, we had things that were able to easily hand it over. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Awesome. And so, um, you you finished up did you have to um hang around for long was there a transition are you still involved what what did, what did it look like after the deal was done yeah so i stuck around for uh six months uh transition as a contractor and that was like i said they wanted to essentially integrate our platform into theirs so it was mostly as a um, an advisory role where I um, helped them make sure that they had feature parity with their platform so that all of our uh, customer base would be able to sort of be used to the same process in, you know, in booking stays with, with hosts that they were already accustomed to. So that was it. Six months and then I was done and I'm Yay. no longer involved. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and, and for yourself, I mean, what, what's happening these days? What have you moved on to? Ah, well, I apparently love building companies now. So, <laughs> so I am uh, venturing away from the RV space, but uh, sticking with SaaS, I am um, start. I have started a new company called SubscribeSense, which is a marketing tech SaaS. So, based on a sort of marketing uh, issue that I learned about as while I was running Boondockers Welcome. Um, specifically, uh, this company helps to increase the confirmation rate for double opt-in mailing lists. So marketing, email marketing in particular, trying to just increase the, the return on investment of that. Yes. And what a big space and growing space that is. So, uh, sounds like you're, uh, you're onto a good thing there. I, uh, I can't remember the exact figures, but I did, I do recall, I think it was about six, maybe nine months ago when MailChimp sold for billions and billions and billions and i lost count of the zeros there but uh it was yeah i mean talk about marketing technology being you know the the way forward so yeah so, sounds like you're uh, you're onto an interesting area uh so good good luck with that um thank you yeah and i, I i'm so appreciative of you coming on and sharing your story with us it's um i i I'm always interested. I love hearing about entrepreneurs, their journey and what happened and, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly even, right? And we've, we truly have heard it all in this show, but um, I do appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing that with us. Um, are you open to people reaching out and connecting and, you know, I, I don't know, you know, is SubscribeSense available for people to actually look at now? Uh, so we are just onboarding our first beta customers so if you're interested in uh in checking us out you can go sign up for the the the, the wait list and we'll let you know when we're ready to to bring you on um but if you just want to connect with me and i'm always happy to share lessons or or whatever um i'm probably on twitter is the best place to find me um at schoolgirl where school is spelt s-k-u-l-e which is what we call the metric spelling um, so that's, uh, that's a good spot to find me, or you can just email me at Anna at subscribesense.com. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And obviously I know you're on LinkedIn there as well. So we'll, we'll include some links in the show notes for the, uh, for this episode, but, um, 
Look, thank you once again for joining us. It's been uh, it's been really insightful. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Simon. It's been great. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder Questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.